So uh, as we mentioned earlier, last week we weren't here because of the great uh, faux apocalypse uh, instead of snow apocalypse. Uh, these are the jokes, people. Um, so we weren't here, and and last week was was traditionally the day which uh, we celebrate Epiphany. And many of you uh, maybe have not heard of that, or if you have heard of Epiphany, you more think about this Greek who was in his bathtub and found uh, Eureka. Uh, that is like, um, he actually, I don't think he actually said Epiphany, uh, but same idea. Uh, in Epiphany to us, you and I, we've probably heard the word. It just means a realization or, or something of that effect, but it really means manifestation or uh, something has been revealed. Uh, it's been brought to light. It's not that we necessarily came to an understanding of our own, but that the veil has kind of been lifted on something. So that's what an epiphany is or the epiphany. And the reason I selected these two readings was uh, epiphany is a time where we celebrate a few different works that Jesus has has performed. But one of the uh, greatest portions of today's celebration is that as we saw two weeks ago when we talked about the the Feast of the Innocents, is that God himself has superintended or ruled over uh, situations. That is, God has wrought causality in and among uh, time-space events to bring about his redemptive plan. Uh, His creation, which he created, suffered decay and loss through the rebellion of Adam, and through that, a curse was brought on onto creation. And the, the story of the scriptures is the undoing of the curse that was brought through the fall. That is, the, the sin and death which entered into all of the world, not just humans, but also creation itself, destroying all of God's uh, created order, that uh, is the prime central theme of the scripture, is how is that how, what is God going to do about this problem, and how is he going to, to solve it and redeem his creation? And part of that includes, uh, of course, the prophets. But when we begin to see God operating in the Gospels uh, with the birth of Christ, before Christ is even yet born, uh, we saw two weeks ago that God is ruling over the situations, and that he is, in the midst of complete darkness, is operating behind the scenes. And though we don't see him, we still need to have faith knowing that God most often works in in ways that we can't see. And so we talked about how last week, you know, when the at the end of this story, after the Magi leave, Herod's enraged and goes and slaughters these children, and we're left wondering, what is God going to do about this? And so even in the midst of, of our situations in life, we often don't see the solution in that moment. Uh, in my own life, when, I, when I've gone through times of trial or testing, it's often the case that although I experience God's presence or pray or read the Bible, I, I commune with God, it doesn't mean that the situation is disarmed. Uh, rather, there's just a uh, me knowing by coming before the Lord, I know that he's going to act, even though the situation hasn't uh, been set right. And so in Epiphany, we see God beginning to, at a time where Israel was, for the last 400 years before Matthew 2, had been completely silent. There weren't uh, prophets in that time period who were speaking to Israel about the consolation 
that was going to come from God. And so in the midst of not only uh, a political darkness of Rome, Israel is also in the midst of a spiritual darkness. And into this situation, Christ is born. And not only that, he is revealed. And that's what we celebrate today on Epiphany. We celebrate the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So that being said, um, we're going to look at, at uh, three stories. The, the first is the manifestation of Jesus as the Christ uh, before the Magi. We're going to look at uh, the baptism by John and what that says about Jesus. And then finally, the wedding at Cana, um, how Jesus is uh, revealed as a miracle worker. Um, and after looking at those, we're going to make just a few observations and then we'll, we're going to take uh, communion together. So, as I mentioned before, epiphany is just a word that means manifestation or a sudden appearance or a revelation, it, like the ideal of a veil being uh, brought up or, or um, you know, parted away. You can see what's behind the curtain, so to speak. And today we celebrate that manifestation of God in the flesh to the world. So our readings today... They reveal not only the nature of God, but also his heart in the midst of these circumstances. It's not enough for you to know that Jesus died on the cross and therefore your sins are atoned without also understanding what that says about God himself. God wishes to reveal himself to men, men who are blinded by sin. And so God has to do something about the fact that men can no longer see him. The prophets of old in Israel said, your sins, speaking to Israel, not just the, not even the Gentiles, your sins have made a separation. They've made a distance between you and God. They're in a sense saying they have become hard of hearing God's voice. And God not only has come near, which we celebrated in Christmas, but he didn't just come near, but he also revealed himself. He made it plain. Over and over again, Jesus speaks in parables, but then finally at the end of the Gospels, the, the disciples, if you remember, when Jesus is talking about all of the things that are going to concern his crucifixion and resurrection, they then say, even though he's been speaking what seems to be very plain language, they then, after years of walking with, with the Lord, they then say, now you are speaking plainly. And, and so often it is with us and, and with God's people that we interact with the Lord, and yet we don't finally perceive it. The day of Epiphany is celebrating that not only has God come close, but he also has made it apparent, and he has shined brightly. He doesn't remain hidden, shines brightly for all the world to see, not just Israel. The light of the world has indeed come, and he has shown himself to all, calling all men to turn from their dark deeds and walk in the light. The Magi who follow this star um, and, and eventually land in, uh, in Bethlehem, they, uh, they come because they're following a star. We, we talked about two weeks ago how it's, it's not my opinion that these Magi are just, you know, evil, soothsayer, unknowledgeable people. They're, they're wise men who understood either a prophet of theirs or a prophet of Israel's and, and understood to be looking for the Lord. To, to be appearing. And so with that, they, they make a trip to Bethlehem and they come and see the light of Christ. And this speaks about the gospel and how it will have effect throughout the rest of the book. Uh, that is the gospel, although it was intended to come to Israel first, and though in, 
indeed in Acts some Israelites do get saved, it is largely the case that God's people at the time do not receive the gospel, and the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And so in the day of Epiphany, we celebrate not only God being faithful to his people, but him, him being faithful to people who were estranged to God. And this is massive love. This is love which is covenant faithfulness, as Paul uses that phrase over and over again. Not only was God faithful to his people, he was also faithful to people that he had not yet chosen, and that's what Paul makes clear in Ephesians 3, which was our second reading today. And so this is a foreshadowing in this story of the Magi coming to Christ before the Jews do, of the fact that the Gentiles will come into the kingdom uh, more quickly than, than uh, all of Israel. Now, not only this, but it's also a foreshadowing of the fact that the gospel is going out to people who have heard of God, haven't heard of God, and, and yet at the same time they're being brought into one people. It no longer in Christ will be Jew and Gentile. It will be one people group that he is calling to himself. So not only do we celebrate the manifestation of Jesus through the episode of the Magi coming, we also celebrate on Epiphany, the baptism by Jesus, uh, or the baptism by John of Jesus in the Jordan. In Matthew 3, uh, 13 through 15, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Continuing in verse 16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. In the baptism of Jesus, we see the Trinity operating in concert or in, in union. That is, God the Son is coming up from Galilee uh, to the Jordan. So Jesus saying uh, later that he only does what he sees his Father doing knew by the Spirit that it was time for him to go to John to be baptized, to, uh, as the book of Hebrews says, be made like his brothers in all respects. Some people don't understand why Jesus was baptized because they equate baptism with an effect of washing uh, uh, from sins. And that is true. Uh, baptism in the scriptures connotes or, or means that you are turning away from your sins and you wish to live in repentance toward God. And so Jesus is going under baptism, but not because Jesus sinned, but as I said earlier, because he had to be made like his brothers in all respects. The way that Jesus Christ is a forerunner for all who would come after him is that he has been made like us in all ways and, and means. And so Jesus goes before us just like uh, the, you know, the spies went into the land before Israel goes over the Jordan. Jesus passes through the waters and opens up a way, not only through the waters, but also through the Spirit for us. What happens to us when we join the church or when we come to God? We first renounce our sins after hearing the gospel. We turn to faith in God, and that takes place through and in and because of and uh, leading up to water baptism. The scriptures are not very uh, 
you know, concerned with whether baptism is the thing that affects the repentance, but baptism is a sign that is both uh, a call to and the result of repentance. And so Jesus goes through and makes a way for us to go through the waters. But not only that, it says, what does the verse say? It says, the heavens were opened to him. This grand uh, opening of the heavens, which has made a way for the Spirit to come forth, uh, this was accomplished by Jesus in his water baptism. And so the unity of the Trinity is on display in a massive way here. Uh, If you are joining uh, with the theology class that was mentioned during the announcements, you'll study the doctrine of the Trinity, and it's a phenomenal doctrine, one of the most biblically defensible uh, doctrines, but not yet, not actually mentioned in that word in the scriptures. But that doctrine is the, the way in which the scriptures are written. It, the assertion that God himself operating Uh, the Father's desire to redeem creation, the Son's willingness to honor the Father, the Spirit's preparing a bride for the Lord. All of these themes are uh, are throughout all parts of Scripture. And so it's important to see uh, this idea that, that God himself, in the way that he operates, is causing his redemptive plan to be made manifest. And what happens in this story? The Son, as we mentioned, he comes up from the Galilee to John to be baptized, He goes into the waters uh, as a foreshadowing of the fact that his followers will be baptized. But not only that, the heavens are opened, which can only be done uh, by God. The heavens are opened, and the Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form, taking the form of a dove, which again has connotations back to Noah. But, But then, out of heaven comes a voice, the voice of the Father declaring over the Son, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. That is not only what is spoken over Jesus in this day, but that's what is spoken over all of this, the children of God who will come after him. But, but what, what's important to see today is that the, the Lord is making himself manifest to, to Israel. Through his baptism, Jesus is demonstrated publicly as the Son of God. If you remember, John the Baptist's ministry was to go throughout all of Israel and to call Israel to repentance. And he went to, uh, you know, the Jordan and began to baptize people there, speaking a message of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God being at hand is what is talked about when Jesus Christ comes into the land. And so at this point, John is simply saying, Uh, I'm not the Lord. In fact, there are people who come and ask John if he's the Messiah or the prophet that Moses spoke about, a prophet who would be uh, like unto Moses. And and John the Baptist says, no, I am not. And the book of John says he confessed and did not deny. As in, uh, John is both saying, I'm not the Christ, and he's not letting anybody think he's the Christ. But what was his message? John the Baptist's prime uh, ministry was to point forward to uh, the Christ. Later on in this passage, it says that the Holy Spirit revealed to John the Baptist, him who you see the Spirit of God descend on and remained is the Son of God. And so John the Baptist's ministry is just for this event, so that all Israel would know and would be accountable to their knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Son of God. And so this is a massive movement 
on the heart of God, or on the on the part of God, to re- it reveals His heart. It says that Israel, who was in the midst of a spiritual darkness, not only was Christ born into that land and lived among them, tabernacled among them, per- persisted with them in despite in spite of all of their manifold sins and idolatries, but not only that, God Himself called a a, a young boy, the cousin of the Lord, John the Baptist, to prepare Israel so that she would be ready. For, for when the Son of God came. And that's what, you know, the gospel is to us. We, we don't just hear the gospel uh, one time. God doesn't just lead uh, his children uh, with this sort of like circumspect or one-shot one uh, salvation kind of attempt. He forms his people. He calls people. He sends out missionaries to persistently witness to those who are to our, uh, you know, away from him, and he gathers them in and prepares them and then uh, reveals himself to them. This is the way that God operates. He doesn't just uh, kind of come onto the scene and declare judgment and then kind of slap people with, you've always been a sinner, you're, you're, you're gone. God in this story is sending a prophet to come and preach repentance to those who have ears to hear, and then after that, he sends his son after uh, Israel is being made ready. And so, this is what uh, we celebrate, that God has not turned away from us in our sin and in, in the hardness of heart that we had, but rather he sent not only John the Baptist, but, him, but his son himself, and preached to us, and revealed himself to us, and made it plain to us. Not only that, we also celebrate today the the miracle at the wedding of Cana. Um, This is one of my favorite stories, not just because of what it says about Jesus's power, but what it says about the role of intercessory activity before the heart of God. In In this passage, I want you to look at what Mary does, how she so moved the heart of God that Jesus, uh, apparently doesn't have a change of heart, but really understands the situation is changing. And watch for this. In John 2, uh, 10 through um, 11, uh, the, the uh, situation is that if, you, if you're not familiar with the story, Mary says to, to Jesus, her son, uh, you know, the, the wine has run out. And Jesus says, woman, what does it concern me? As in, what are you talking about? Uh, this doesn't matter to me. Or, the, you know, why, why are you talking to me about this? And Mary doesn't uh, move. Her heart's not uh, shaken by this initial uh, seeming uh, not answer to prayer. Mary goes to the servants and says to them, whatever Jesus, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And, you know, Jesus, he says, I only see, or I only do what I see the Father doing. So at first when Mary says to him, uh, you know, the wine has run out. And he then responds, um, you know, what, what does this concern me? Her response of faith to command the servants of the, of the wedding or the servants of the feast there to obey Jesus so moved the heart of God that it seems as if God has intervened in this situation. Now, that to me is the basis of any sort of meaningful hope of an intercessory prayer life. If you are someone who uh, desires to pray 
and to see God act in situations that are seemingly hopeless, this is like your number one go-to scripture, apart from, you know, the prophets and and maybe, you know, Moses interceding with God and Abraham interceding for Sodom. Those didn't turn out as well, but but this is an amazing story that reveals the heart of God. <clears throat> John 2, 10 through 11, uh, the, the master of the feast comes and says publicly at the feast, and he says, says to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The cause and effect nature of the last of the wording of the last verse here says that Jesus performed this miracle which made manifest his glory that is his rulership over time space material uh, you know simple situations which we you and I normally naturally don't have any power over Jesus manifests his glory he does this sign and he's revealed to Israel and what does it say his disciples believed in him a wedding where the wine runs out, just so you can feel the full effect of this, is a massive shame on the couple. When I hosted, uh, well, I guess really it's considered to be um, Emily's parents. When they hosted that um, event, we, we did a lot of work for them because they lived, you know, 10, 10 hours away, 8 hours away eight hours away and you know they don't have the ability to from eight hours away cause all of these uh, arrangements and deals to be done but when at our wedding uh, um, party uh, reception which was a phenomenal good time uh, thank you for everyone who was involved in that it would have been the shame of the beginning of a marriage had there been no food no cake no whatever uh, just because that's what our culture expects. Our culture expects that when you throw a reception, people come and you you entertain, you feed, you make merry because a, a wedding is a, an amazing celebration. And this this situation which Jesus is encountered with, uh, this is a terrible situation for this new couple. Uh, in society, had this actually taken place and had Jesus not intervened, these people would have been considered to be fools. What happens when Jesus is telling his disciples about the counting the cost of something? Uh, that is, what it means for you to actually be a disciple of Christ. That is, you have to give up everything. He, he explains it in a parable. He says it would be like someone who started to build a tower but didn't count the cost. He didn't look at the blueprints. He didn't survey. He didn't examine the cost of building the tower. And, and he doesn't have enough money to finish. What, it, what does it say? He says, that man will be a laughingstock. People will ridicule him. That's what's going to happen to this new couple. They're either going to be considered poor or fools or both by the, the people in their, in their neighborhood. And Jesus, obeying the prompt of his mother, disarms the embarrassment and instead reverses the decree and brings a commendation. You got to see that in the light of this potential disaster, the wine has run out. They, they look as if they weren't ready to actually hold this feast. This man, perhaps, is not ready to actually be a good husband to this woman. A shame and a folly is on him, and in the midst of that brings a commendation from the master of the table. He's 
if he's basically saying that here everyone serves the good wine first, but you have kept the good wine until now. It's kind of a a blessing on the couple for saying that, you know, you weren't content with just giving us, you know, your solo cups. You you brought out crystal. That that's what he's saying. He he's saying you have honored your guests, whereas everyone in our culture typically serves good wine, and then once people can't taste it as well because they're sloshed, then you bring out the bad stuff. That's like you know having a nice craft beer, and then once you have like three of those craft beers, then you serve like natty light. That's that's what's happening, and so the master of the table. The master of ceremonies comes and declares, instead of the place of shame, a blessing on the people, on, on the, the, the wedding. And not only a blessing on those people, that blessing which covers this new couple and their family extends to everyone who's celebrating with them. Jesus performed his first miracle not in front of just one person, but a whole multitude bringing a blessing on the couple and the crowd. And so this is what we celebrate in Epiphany. Not only has Jesus come near through his incarnation, which we celebrate in the time of Christmas, but also he has been made manifest both through the Magi being told to come and his water baptism and his performing of miracles throughout Israel, of which the wedding of Cana is just the tip of the iceberg. And so this, these stories, what they say about God, calls us to examine our own gospel witness. How are we to live now that we've seen how God has operated? Again, the gospel does not say perform and be set free or perform and then be judged righteous, but it is because God's heart is for your redemption and he has brought you near and he has operated in this way. Now that you've seen his heart, it has freed you and disarmed you from all of your fears, greeds, uh, malice, etc., to your brother, now that you've been washed by the word of Christ, how are you supposed to live? And I think these, these um, stories reveal something about the nature of God that should inform how we live out our, our following of Jesus, and it should inform how we witness. That is, how, we, how do we live our lives? How do we share our faith with those around us? And I think the, the prime takeaway from these stories is that God's interventions take place in and before, that is, in front of, uh, communities of people. They not only take place in front of communities, they also create communities themselves. The Magi, but plural, discover and follow the star. That is, they search through the writings which God had, by his Spirit, inspired prophets to uh, to write down oracles of the Lord, which then were later interpreted by these magi who hear God's voice through the writings of the scriptures and obey and go to Bethlehem. Uh, This is a community activity. The magi were not able individually to make the journey, nor were they even able to know to make the journey without being in the context of a group of people. Jesus is demonstrated as the Son of God by the Father and the Spirit to a representative sample of Israel, which would then later become all of Israel through his water baptism. The wine, which brings a blessing to the couple and crowd, disarms the shame and instead allows the celebration and joy to continue. This is, again, done in a community. And then our reading today, where Paul talked about the, the mystery, which was Uh, not known before, wasn't just that the Son of God would come and atone, but that through his atonement, he would break down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. 
The mystery which, which Paul speaks of is spoke openly both to the Jew and also to the Greek or the Gentiles. And so God is working in these stories through the manifestation of the Son of God to Israel, to all the world. He's operating in a community. And the people who see his operation also are living in a community. That is, the people who saw Jesus be baptized at the Jordan only were there because they heard John's voice to call, calling them out of uh, sinful Israel, that is, you know, complacent, idolatrous Israel, to turn back to the Lord with all their heart. And because they were listening to John the Baptist's message, they then were there for the event of Jesus' baptism. Likewise, with the wedding, these people uh, received an invitation, and they came to the wedding to celebrate God's forming of a new couple, uh, a, a so-called uh, recreation, God taking Adam, placing him in the garden, God forming Eve from Adam. Um, the creation of a marriage is re-celebrated at this wedding, and God is uh, intervening into this situation to cause the joy and the celebration to continue. And so, Though we all participate individually, the Christian life is a, is a continual call to community. It's not an individualistic experience. Now, this is something our church really, it's kind of one of our core uh, focuses, but I think that every once in a while, it's helpful to revisit your foundation. I myself know firsthand that I tend to be introverted. Uh, if any of you know me, you know that that's somewhat of how my, I live my life. I kind of like living, uh, you know, quiet li- a quiet life that is, uh, you know, just, um, I like staying home. I like home. Home's good. I like exploring, but I like home too. One of the things that the gospel calls me to do as, a, as an elder of this church, Paul says, says that overseers must be hospitable. So what that means for me is God tells me that I can't just live at home. I need to extend love to my brothers and sisters. And if I really like being at home, which I do, I have people over and we spend time face to face and we share, we share life together because the gospel calls me to love people and you can't love people if you're just by yourself. So we're not here to do our own thing. I hope you didn't come this morning thinking, I'm going to go to church so I can really express myself and do the thing I wanted to do. You came to church to hear God's word, to be formed by his spirit, to be fed by him through communion, and to be sent out into the world to transform it and to change it. And and that's what we're here to do. We're here to live out our faith as a family. And of course, families are messy. Babies make diapers. Stuff is is tough sometimes, but in the midst of God's love and call through the gospel, we certainly have enough grace uh, by his spirit to put up with the diapers, so to speak. What What good today, I guess, would be the question, what good would it have been for Jesus to be incarnate, that is, to come to Israel and yet remain hidden? It would have been no good at all. And that is what Epiphany is about. Not only did God come close, but he also shined brightly so that we could see. Speaking to his community, Jesus says in in his Sermon on the Mount, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. 
The question that Epiphany asks us today is, are you hiding your light? Are you neglecting to share the light that you have with those around you who are really in darkness, who have no understanding of God's merciful love, his magnificent, overflowing, redemptive grace that he has lavished on the world by not only sending his son, but also his spirit and forming a community of people throughout the, the earth, which are transforming and undoing the curse which came on, on the world through the fall. Are you putting your light under a basket? It's not enough to know that phrase and remember the time in uh, Sunday school, which said, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. It's not enough to just hear that and not be moved by the fact that there are those who are in darkness and you are the answer to their problems. Not because you are God, but you know the way to God. You know the way to his people. You know the way to his heart. You understand the gospel and you can share with others. The light that God has given us must be shared with our friends, family, and neighbors. And that's what Epiphany calls us to. My prayer is that as we start for 2014, that we would shine our light for all to see, that they would come to see the light of the world made manifest through our lives. It's not enough that we celebrate Epiphany, but Epiphany has to happen through us to our neighbors and friends and family. So with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful work that you accomplished through your son, Jesus. We thank you for sending the Spirit to form the church and Uh, establish her throughout the generations. Lord, we do ask that you would remedy those places in our lives where we're neglecting to share with our neighbors, with our friends, family, co-workers. God, we ask you that you would help us, uh, you would help us see those who are uh, wanting to know about you. We ask you, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see the children of God Um, who are currently adrift in the sons of men, that we would see those who you are calling, that we would go and preach to them, that we would share with them, that we would give love to them, that we would forgive them when they wrong us, that we would welcome them into our homes and into our lives. Lord, we ask that you would give us an understanding of how beautiful you are, that you are the thing that should consume all of our life, that that we are not uh, to just look at things in the culture or entertain ourselves or or gorge on things, but that you are the prime treasure and that you in our life today would, would shine brightly, brighter than any other thing that grabs for our attention. Lord, we do ask that you would give us a great ability in 2014 as we go back onto the campus and, and continue to, to share with um, people in this neighborhood, with children in this neighborhood, that you would give us an ability to shine greatly, that we would take the reading from two weeks ago with to heart, arise, shine, for, the, for your light has come and the glory of God has shone on you, that we would really believe that it is our portion, that your glory will shine through simple actions and simple words that we would share with our friends and family. And Lord, we do ask that you would give us this year to understanding your word, that we would have something to share with everyone who would ask. In Jesus' mighty name.